Hi, I'm Adam. And I'm Rob. And welcome to a brand new episode of the Hollowdale Media Podcast. We're back. It's bit, it feels like ages. It's been a bit more than normal. Uh, I had a birthday and then you went on holiday. I went on a holiday. How's that? Was that right? Lovely. Went to... Went to not-so-sunny Cornwall. It was a bit cloudy. You've managed to take the right pictures of the sunny bits. Yes. Well, it turns out my phone, I've got a new phone, and it, it does very well at lighting up things. It looks much sunnier in the pictures. It has the DD Press app, where you can take really grim and horrible, depressing-looking photos and make them look like you're having an excellent time. Yes. I mean, there's a bit of sun. I've gone a little bit brown. Mm, golden, yeah. So, yes, I ate lots of pasties and ice creams. It was lovely. Well, that's wonderful. And I started reading the Rick Mail autobiography. Good. It's a masterpiece. Is it? It's so funny. I will have to read that straight after you. I clocked bigger than Hitler, better than Christ. And That's I, the title. And I didn't know that it was Rick Mail's autobiography. <laughs> of course it was. Yeah. Uh. The Rick Mail, it's by. Yeah, no, I only saw bigger than Hitler, better than Christ. And I was like, what is that about? I thought it was one of your weird, kooky uh, <laughs> books. Good afternoon. This is the foreword. Good afternoon. You know how, like, when you're writing a book, loads of great ideas come to you? Well, that's what's happening to me. And you know how you're at the beginning of this book reading this now? Well, so am I. It's like we're locked together. You and me. You know what I mean. Not like that, obviously. Not dirty front-bottom style. Although we could be if you wanted, especially if you're a jugged-up kind of bird who's up for it. (laughs) In fact, thinking about it, only really if you're a jugged-up bird who's up for it. Asterisk. Phone my agent. Yeah. Oh, fantastic! Straight. He doesn't even. He doesn't even hesitate to go into bottom. <laughs> I know. That's I know. absolutely amazing. It's funny. And he characterises uh, Aid Edmondson as a as a bully. Yeah. And my great pal Aid Edmondson, who's much more handsome and talented than I am, told me, "Shut up, you big girl. <laughs> you owe me fifty quid." You know. Oh, Love it. Guy. Amazing. Cool. But yeah, I haven't watched anything. I feel really out of the loop. Uh, I watched uh, I, BBC, the BB, the BBC. Yeah, the BBC. Yeah, the BBC. Uh, they sometimes they have a drama. They bring out a drama and it takes the world by storm. And they brought one out and it's just blown it all out of the park. Called Vigil. It's about submarine, right? Oh, I think I saw this on a screen. It's really good. Like the the premise is kind of like. Uh, yeah, at first, like, is, there, is this how it works? So there's a there's a mystery death on a submarine that could be a murder. British submarine. Um, so they fly out... Uh, a British sub- murder on a British submarine? Uh, yeah, no, the idea, is a foreigner. The very idea of it is a scandal. Unbelievable. Uh, they send out like the, a really good detective to go and investigate the death, on the, the mysterious death on the submarine. Okay. However... The trouble with her investigating the murder is something really bad's happened. Like, the worst thing in British, like, nautical history in terms of, like, espionage and being uncovered because there's another mystery thing out in the ocean that pulled down a tugboat. Um, <gasps> yeah, I know, right? Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it gets into that a bit more. But the, the detective who they send in, she's had a previous traumatic experience. Of course she has. Involving being underwater. But they, Why would she go? <laughs> but they send her. So so there's a couple of things you've got to kind of wrap your head around. But 
If you want to get in, I think it's, I think when it finishes, it's going to be a five-part drama. But if you want to watch like a very, very good BBC drama, watch this. Get on this now. Don't let it fade away. Watch this one. It's really, really good. I watched a, a, a video essay about uh, trauma, incidentally, about how we uh, fetishize trauma victims. Right. Just like and, that. And how bad it is. Actually, how damaging it is. It's awful. And when you think about it, you go, yeah, that is awful. You can't just have a hero now. They have to have been... It's like horrific. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's because the effort, the, what they want to do is show that they've grown. Yeah. They've, they've gone past what they expected and they've become the hero. You, Why can't they just be a hero? You respect and you take warmth in what they've been through and you take warmth in their smouldering depression. There's people like watching. It is fetishization. People like and enjoy watching a detective or a, a policeman waking up bleary-eyed, looking over at a photo, and then getting out of bed. They, yeah, that's a, that's a major trope, isn't the it? The thing is, yeah, I mean, yeah, we, the hard, gritty detectives, one thing, but it's everything. Yeah, it's yeah. every single. You don't get uh, Skins is a good example. Skins was a. A rollicking romp with drugs and booze and sex and students. Yeah. But they were all, like, cutting themselves, weren't they? Well, you know, they all had a, a thing. Why can't they have had fun? But, I mean, most of them... Misfits had fun. To be fair, they all... They started... Well, to be honest, Misfits, they had more deep stuff in their past. In Skins, they all started out happy party animals and then and then horrible stuff. Uh, I suppose that's that's something else, really, isn't it? And like, do you know what I mean? Like, I'm looking at my film posters, and they're all from the '80s. And Mad Max and Robocop are the only two that have any trauma. Yeah, yeah, that's true. And that is what what the character is. Well, I'm looking over at Bruce Campbell, and depending where you what <laughs> Bruce Campbell you're looking at, he goes through a little bit of trauma. But at the start, he's just your happy old college boy. Yeah, he's and on he's, his way to the woods. He, he's got a he, girlfriend. His dad didn't. You know, murder his mum at no. an early age. He didn't have any trauma. No, no, no. He's that. just a average dude having a bad day. Yeah. That's why Evil Dead's so great. Yeah, He's, you're you're you sold the character, and then you know you you fall in love with his lovely chin. But it's an interesting point, and I I'm gonna be keeping my eyes on that because I think it is bad mm. that every character has to have some sort of trauma. Have we ever written a character and given them trauma? We wrote. Kent Bison oh, well. <laughs> as a parody of that without thinking about it too much. He yeah. had a traumatic childhood. He had a very, he had a very, very traumatic because childhood. Because he's an action hero, 80s action hero, who's, he thought his dad was an 80s action hero too. But turned out, his dad... Do we want to spoil it? Are we going to roll it out at some point? I think as much as no one gives us solitary <laughs> crap right now, there's not spoil it All in right. case... One he day had an awful childhood. He's, he's recovering from absolute traumatic yeah. moment in his past. See, so yeah, you, you've already we've reached for it before, so it's there. Um, <laughs> but yeah, but I, no one else. I'm trying to think of anything else now. No, no one in Quaggers. Uh, Daphne Thunderstorm. There was nothing there. Um, obviously, Sasquatch. Uh, well, Sasquatch has a try. He's a, he's a. He's been everywhere, hasn't he? Yeah, he's got quite <laughs> a history. He's traversed worlds. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. Well, we'll, maybe the next thing we write, we'll 
We'll give them? No! We won't? No, I think every character from now on should just be a happy-go-lucky... Everything's good, walking on sunshine. I kind of, it makes sense for a bad guy, but not a hero. Heroes don't need trauma. Ah, but that's offensive. Now you're saying that people who have been through trauma will most likely become bad guys, Adam. Uh, Why would you say something like that? Well, maybe they are. Yeah, well, maybe they are. God, you tra trauma-ridden bastards. Well, no, it's that thing. Stay away that, from me. It's that, well, I suppose it's more selfishness. What I'm thinking of is that bad guy speech where they say, Now you will know my pain. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's there. I mean, Dr. Evil, he was... Uh, my father was a relentlessly self-improving boulangerie owner from Belgium with low-grade narcolepsy and a penchant for buggery. My mother was a 15-year-old French prostitute named Chloe with webbed feet. My father would womanize, he would drink, he would make outrageous claims like he invented the question mark. Sometimes he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy, the sort of general malaise that only the genius possess and the insane lament. Anyway, so last time you treated us to Pokemon. I certainly did. What a, what a time that was. Feels how, like years ago. How snug we were. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Now we're, we're moving on to another film, Adam. Well, we, what's that? We, well, let's not spoil the event because oh. I have developed a link. Oh, wow. Go on. Where did that come from? I've got a link that will take us to the next film. Cool. And here we go. Pokemon the first movie stars voice actor Rachel Lillis as both Misty and Jesse in the English version of the film, and also portrayed Chansey and Jigglypuff in the Nintendo masterpiece that is Super Smash Bros. Super Smash Bros. has an unusual lineup in the recent years, including the completely inappropriate use of darkly sexual demon babe Bayonetta. Bayonetta 3 is currently in development hell, having been first announced way back in the 2017 edition of the LA-based Game Awards. As with any awards ceremony, the Game Awards present their winners with a statue that was designed in part by special effects company Weta World. Workshop, who, among others, have worked on such films as Brain Dead, Lord of the Rings, and Thor Ragnarok. Thor Ragnarok is the greatest comic book movie of all time and stars Chris Hemsworth in a titular role and his naughty brother Loki, played by Tom Hiddleston. Which brings us to the week this week's film pick, wherein Tom Hiddleston plays the lead role of Dr. Robert Lang in the 2015 dystopian epic High Rise. Wow, I learned so much in that. I learned that Weta Workshop sometimes makes awards. They do all sorts of stuff, it turns out. High Rise, wow, what a film. High Rise, uh, regarded as one of the best British films of all time, did you know? By who? By Empire Magazine. Really? Yeah. I yeah. mean, nah. Well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. We will, we will get into it. But first, let's move on. Adam's Film Reviews, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings, 2021. Throughout my life, the Ten Rings gave our family power. If you want them to be yours one day, you have to show me you are strong enough to carry them. 
You are a product of all who came before you. The legacy of your family. You are your mother. And whether you like it or not, you are also your father. I told my men they wouldn't be able to kill you if they tried. Glad I was right. Directed by Destin Daniel Cretton and sharing a writing credit with Dave Callahan and Andrew Lanham, Shang-Chi is the latest film to explore the Marvel Cinematic Universe, marking a completely new character in a mostly new setting, having some faint connections with the Doctor Strange world of magic and mysticism. But, most importantly of all, drawing on some genuinely interesting ideas and exploration of Asian culture while still delivering on the promise of whiz-bang punchy superhero action. And speaking of, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings kicks off the action with a recap of the eponymous Ten Rings, a mysterious weapon capable of granting their owner immortality and unnatural powers capable of wiping out whole armies. Wielded by Chinese warlord Zhu Wenwu, played by Tony Lung, these rings became the source of his power, and in time, Wenwu named his army after the Ten Rings, eventually taking to the shadows as a secretive cabal behind many of the world's worst terrorist atrocities. Eventually, Wenru stumbled on a hidden village, uh, Talo, a magical place which harboured mythical beasts and magic beyond his belief. In his attempt to invade, however, Wenru is blocked by the village guardian Ying Li, played by Fei Chen, and despite their best efforts, are unable to defeat each other. Instead, falling in love and eventually having children, Zaling and her brother Shang-Chi. Now raised as a warrior, Shang-Chi breaks away from his father's iron fist and goes on the run, eventually reaching San Francisco and adopting the name Sean. Now many years later, we return to Sean, now played by Simu Liu, and his best friend Katie, played by Aquafina. Now working as hotel valets, the pair drink, party and get through life without a care in the world. That is, until one day when a looming figure approaches the pair and confronts Sean demanding he hand over the mysterious green brooch worn around his neck. Now unfortunately for the thug, the brooch was a gift from Sean's mother and it holds a lot of sentimental value. And it isn't going without a fight. And fight, they most certainly do. Yes, the first of many, many fight scenes begins here, on a bus, an oddly specific trope that seems to be emerging lately. But unlike that of Nobody, a much better film, Shang-Chi opens on a fight scene that, to me at least, felt weightless, overlong and packed full of needless stunts. Yes, okay, every stunt is arguably needless, but my point is Shang-Chi is fighting like he knows how to fight. There's no threat, no discovery, no sense of accidental skill. He's just a badass from the off, and I just felt nothing. In fact, that's a pretty good way of summing up my whole experience watching Shang-Chi. As the story progresses, Sean, now Shang-Chi, and Casey wind up at Wenwu's evil Ten Rings encampment and do a whole load of Indiana Jonesing to find the Lost Village, and, on finding it, discover the truth behind Wenwu's lust for power, while Shang-Chi deals with his embittered and more talented sister now portrayed by Menga Zhang. But in the end, a whole load of people fight each other with big CGI monsters running about and I just simply couldn't care less. 
I know it's just me too. Every review I see, every film buff I follow on the socials rave and squeal over this film. And like Black Panther before it, I just, I just don't care. For what it's worth, the family drama was interesting and it's great to see some Asian culture not only be showcased, but exploded on screen. But the CGI fight fest was, it was enough to send me to sleep. I had similar feelings about Black Widow, and the truth is, I think I'm just done with the MCU. If you're a fan, fine, whatever. But I'm clearly lacking the infinity stone in my mind that lets me enjoy these things, and I think I'm okay with that. So, Shang-Chi and the Legends of the Ten Rings. You might be the last Marvel film for me that isn't directed by Taika Waititi, and for all the hours I won't waste from now on, I thank you. Welcome to Fortnite Schmortnite. Uh, so starting off on a bit of a, a sad note, uh, Michael K. Williams, who you know as Omar from The Wire, most notably, um, he's passed away at the age of 54. Oh no! I don't know if this is uh, like old news now to people, um, sort of... Uh, undetermined cause of death. We won't get into that. We'll get into how awesome he was. Um, he was in like, what was he in? He was in 12 Years a Slave. He was in Community. He was in Alias. Um, yeah, he's in loads of stuff. He was absolutely incredible in The Wire. He was one of the most well-written, best characters I can think of in anything. Yeah, he stood out. He was the he was the person everyone talked about. Yeah. Was talking about. He was like I this, need to rewatch the wire. He was this wandering spirit of the neighborhood. Like he he always had like a a motive and he was always like above his enemies. He was very very smart. Yeah. And I guess like especially at the time to have a gay gangster type like that was quite forward. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which, yeah, it's just really, really cool. What I didn't know about him was that uh, he was a backup dancer. Well, or a dancer. I don't know if he was a backup dancer for George Michael, Missy Elliott, and Madonna. Oh, really? That's cool. Man of many talents. Um, yeah, like, hugely missed. And already, like, just reading up on him today, I think I need to go back and finish The Wire because I got several series in. But, yeah, man. Series in? Yeah, I got, I mean, sev several seasons. Several. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I got it to, like, series four or something. Really? Wow. Yeah, so I've got like all of like so much to go. I don't know why I stopped, but yeah. Um, but yeah, moving on. Uh, the Matrix Resurrection trailer is here. So uh, for those of you who haven't seen it, it does not start with Neo coming back as some other form within the real world, or does it? Uh, it implies that Neo is back in the Matrix uh, with no idea who he is, but Trinity is there. And then he's invited back into the Matrix, where Morpheus is, but he's not Morpheus. He's kind of a younger Morpheus. And there's agents, but they're not Agent Smith. They're other agents. Uh, um, I think it looks like a fan film. I'm not. I don't blown think away. it does. I don't think it does. Uh, like Neil Patrick Harris is just. I don't, I don't like. He's in it as a, as a psychiatrist who seems like he's in on it all. He's got yeah. a kind of a. I. Why has Neo got John Wick hair? That is a very good question. That he is, always had short hair and was clean shaven. I don't understand how, now that John Wick has become such an iconic piece of pop culture and forever will be, yeah. it's weird that they they didn't just cut his hair and merge the two together. Uh, between. Unless, unless when he becomes Neo, he shaves it all off. How about this? In The Matrix, you know in the first Matrix where the, the, the bad guy's like, ah, when you, he's asking the agents what, what he can be. And he's like, I want you to make me someone important. Maybe an actor. <laughs> so he's what become... If Keanu I want you to make me uh, an actor, but maybe a cool name like Keanu. 
and uh, make me star in an awesome film about a guy who's getting a revenge for his dog dying. And maybe when he was younger, he played a stupid rock fan of a blonde kid from The Lost Boys. Yeah. Maybe yeah, it's that meta. Because apparently, because I read somewhere, I missed this in the trailer, apparently there's people watching The Matrix in the background. So the, the agents and everything are trying to trick the real world and Keanu or into believing The Matrix was just a movie. That's making me less interested. I, it's a fan film! I don't know, I'm, I'm so invested. I don't care about any... I'm so on if it. If Neo and Morph, not Morpheus kiss, it's a fan film. Yeah, okay, I, I'll meet you that. It's yeah. a slash fiction. I'm really looking forward to it. I think, like, I watched, uh, like, a couple of months ago, I watched all of three of the Matrix movies, and I, I was... Uh, Have you seen Animatrix? Yes. Yeah, I, I actually really, cool. really like Animatrix. Really cool, really dark, really graphic. I remember a skull exploding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's all sorts of stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah, man. I, I, and it's, it's coming out at Christmas. It's a Christmas film. Yay. The Matrix-mas... Ding dong merrily on Smith. I'm not engaging. Uh, red, um, pill. Okay, never mind. Jingle pills. Jingle pills. Um, anyway, there's also a new trailer for the French Dispatch where we felt like we were going <laughs> to faint from over Anderson. It's, it's like a parody of Wes Anderson. <laughs> it's it's like, so ridiculous. It's mental. I didn't. I didn't <laughs> think it was possible. Like if you go back and watch old Wes Anderson trailers, it's all very you know Wes Anderson and symmetrical. But this was just we almost drowned. It was dangerous. We almost drowned like with Steve Zizou. <laughs> yeah. No, I, yeah, it, it's it's it, yeah. I want to see Wes Anderson use that style and make a horror film. Oh yeah, or a space opera. Yeah. You know, something just Some... stop making Wes Anderson films, but use that style. So you take away the square sets and you give him big, fat LA studios and green screens and make and make him. I want to see Wes Anderson does The Mandalorian. That's what I want to see. Right. Yeah. Space Western. And Yeah, just people stopping their sentences in time for other people to start their sentences <laughs> yeah. and standing perfectly in line with each other. You know, I just want to see like a, a Ghost in the Walls horror yeah. film. Yeah. Uh, yeah, He's. I mean, he clearly has the talent. It could be the best thing ever. Um there was, you know, obviously we also watched uh, Trader for uh, Edgar Wright's Last Night in Soho, um, which also looks really cool. Yeah, no, re- I've been waiting for that for blooming ages. Yeah, yeah, when was the last, what, what was Baby Driver the last Edgar Wright film we had? I'm, yeah. I'm missing something out? Yeah. Really cool. Insert Nicolas Cage effect. Chrissy, bring me the big knife! It's Nicolas Cage corner! Nicolas Cage is coming out in a new movie. Of course it is. It's been a week. Can you believe it? Uh, So (laughs) last week we talked about Nicolas Cage in the ghost world, or whatever it's, ghost town, ghost spirit world. Yeah. Oh, God. Before that was Pig. Yeah, which I've now watched and is not the film I expected. Um, So the movie, this is from Empire, the movie will see Cage as Colton Briggs, a former gunslinger who now runs a general store and lives quietly with his family. But when a gang of outlaws murder his wife in cold blood, Briggs returns home to find his world burning. He unearths his sidearm and saddles up with an unlikely partner, his 12-year-old daughter. Is it a western? Yes. 
So and not just Western style, it's is like, it? It's full it's on Western. Full on Western. Sweet. I want to see this. Uh, I want to see Nicolas Cage be a vengeful cowboy. It's got shades of true grit, doesn't it? With yeah, the, with the girl. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. Uh, but then, guess what? Guess what? Nicolas Cage sound effect. Wait, 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 wait. When you say that she's grieving, you mean that Rowan is dead? There's another Nicolas Cage Western <laughs> coming out. There's a second. There's a second Nicolas Cage West. Okay, tell me more. Uh, it's called Butcher's Crossing. Uh, so a guy drops out of Harvard to head west in the late 1870s to join Nicolas Cage and a group of buffalo hunters as they try to track a huge buffalo herd. So make of that what you will. Nicolas Cage is very excited about both films. I want to see Nicolas Cage in like a razor head. Yes! I want to see Nicolas Cage in... A shot-for-shot remake of The Razor <laughs> of Nicolas Cage. Or, like, you know, The Witch. Yeah. Completely unhinged... God. No, no, I'm sick of a Razorhead. That was the best <laughs> thing, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> having him sat at that table whilst that chicken's cut up. Or would wow. he be the dad? Would be fol- the film would be following the dad. It's a spin-off. Yeah. He's just fed up with his bloody... Look at my knees. Oh, God. They're new. Do you like my knees? Do you like them? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I love a razor head, man. <laughs> I, I don't think I've watched this since college. Man. Oh, I have. I've got uh, it. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm almost scared of it. There's, there's, it's, uh... It does bury deep into your soul, a razor head. I must, I must say. I swear I've got it, but I can't see it. I must have lent it to someone. God. Yeah. Um, what finally, a film. Finally. Sorry, no, no, no. It's a very, very good film. Um, moving on to uh, Resident Evil. Welcome to Raccoon City. Welcome to Raccoon City. We've got zombies and dogsters' faces split in two. <laughs> and we've got a bad blonde guy with sunglasses. Anyway, uh, it'll be rated R. How, how about that? That's the news. No, big surprise. Uh, apparently, it's an origin story. Ugh, of course it is. Set in 1998 Raccoon City. Um, and it's got, like, Claire Redfield, who's played by Kaya Scordalario. Kaya. <laughs> yeah. Scordalario. <laughs> oh, what a beautiful Kaya, name. Kaya Scordalario. 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 Kaya Scordalario. Is that right? Kaya Scordalario. I quite liked it when you sang it. Scordalario. <laughs> She's called Scalatario. Just one tornado, Scalatario. She's that offensive? from the skins. <laughs> no, apart from Scalatario, is it Italian name? It sounds could be Mexican. Could, could be Greek. Oh God. Could be any. We could be offending everyone at the same time. Anyway, Kaya Scalatario. Um, <laughs> With Chris Redfield is back coming back in it. He's a, he's a game character, not an actor. He's got Jill Valentine, Albert Wesker, Leon Kennedy. So William Leon, Blackman. Leon. It's got all these characters. Leon, right? Hey, I'm gonna nerd out here. Leon and uh, oh my god, Leon and Claire. What, what are you saying? Leon and Claire okay. are in Resident Evil Two, right? Yes. Chris and Jill are in Resident Evil One. That's annoyed me. Why don't they just do the movie Resident Evil 1 in the mansion and when they're done with that, do Resident Evil 2 in Raccoon City? Why do they have to f- screw it around? It's a good question. While emerging it, they just need to be in the mansion, Adam. 
Because the mansion's boring. Well, they've, they've got, got fun they when get, they left. They get chased by dogs. There's a conservatory. There's a bit outside. Can you imagine watching three hours of Sidario moving, moving a chest of drawers? Uh, yeah, just, and then a jewel falls off. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. Uh, I, I don't care. I'm sure. I'm, I'm looking forward to it anyway. Um, cool. Uh, so concludes Fortnite Shmore Night. Uh, so in summary, yeah, not yeah. For all its inconveniences, Lang was satisfied with life in the high rise, ready to move forward and explore life. How exactly? He had not yet decided. I'm so sorry. I'll survive. I thought you were empty. I just moved in. You're an excellent specimen. Why don't you come up later and have a drink? You don't know how things work around here, do you? I'm a fast learner. You built all this. I put all my energies into this town, but I am the architect of my own accident. Is that a horse? Probably. On the 40th floor. Your husband appears intent on colonizing the sky. And who can blame him when you look at what's going on at street level? How's the high life? Prone to fits of mania, narcissism, and power failure. So, Adam, why did you pick this film? High rise. It. So, last year, year before, I went through a massive Ben Wheatley phase. Uh, re via a field in England, I started watching all the stuff. I'd seen Free Fire. High Rise was one that I kept hearing about and I kept seeing around. It was sort of always hailed as like a big sci-fi British thing, and I just never saw it. I was I've always sort of assumed I would like it because I've seen loads of interviews with Ben Wheatley talking about it, comparing it to 2000 AD. It was a very Judge Dreddy vibe to it apparently and there was clockwork orange references and all this sort of stuff so i always knew i'd probably enjoy it i just never found the time to watch it so i saw it i said we're watching that yeah i'm glad you chose it i'm glad you chose it um yeah so it is a hell of a film to get your head around it's a, a, possibly more than any other film we've done on this podcast i've had to really sit down and think about it yeah no me too I would say it's the yeah the most complex. It's just the most difficult. Worse than just- Zardoz. Yeah, which is funny because you know comparison like the comparisons being made to Zardoz. It is very Zardoz. It's definitely seventies um, in character, that as well as setting. Post hippie adult sexual freedom community uh, cult aura of Zardoz. Yeah. Running through this, and there's a lot of classism. Lots, That's what Zardos was all lots about. Lots of wasn't classism, it? yeah. Um, yeah, what a what a crazy film. Um, so yeah, it starts. So we got Tom Hiddleston as the as the main character. Yeah, Doctor Robert Lang. Yeah, and we're introduced at what we would be led to assume is the end. So we are introduced to a flat which is a complete and utter trash heap with bodies and psychopaths running around 
at one moment Tom Hiddleston's walking along with a dog at the next moment he's eating its leg yeah. he's cooked it yeah um and yeah and we're straight into to chaos and then we go back for a bit we go back three months and then there's a little bit of order yeah so the the high rise refers to this new modern building being built outside london by uh uh anthony royal who's the architect played to perfection can i just say by jeremy irons yes who's this kind of like lofty blase like oh you could you could easily have cast him in the role of like god Yes. Or like, speaking of The Matrix, the architect in The Matrix. But he wasn't like that. He was just like, eh, whatever. I put all my energies into this time. I'm its midwife, so to speak. Mm-hmm. It looks like the unconscious diagram of some kind of psychic event. Well, that's good. I'll use that. By all means. Yeah. I've made paradise. You just have to live in it. But he, I mean, he, he he's human, he has a temper, he he gets offended, he gets confused by things people yeah. say. Yeah, he's, uh, he's clearly in a loveless marriage with uh, Keely Hawes. Yeah, who's obviously like much, much younger than he is. What are you doing? I'm packing to leave. What do you think? Has anyone actually made a formal complaint to the owners? We are. Pass me that green thing. Daddy likes to see me in it. You're not going anywhere. I forbid it. That's the first time he's touched me in six months. A uh, bit of a weird thing going on there. Anne, that's it. Anne, yeah, Anne. yeah. So who and she herself kind of rides about on the back of a horse. She yeah. sort of casts herself in a very. She's probably more. I don't know. How do you describe it? Ethereal. She's more ethereal. Um, I think she's more with it. She she wants more to be involved with the. So if you consider. Uh, is it Anthony Royal? Was it? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Royal, if you yeah. consider him at the very top, at the pinnacle, she is certainly not his equal. She is wanting to kind of revel with the next level down, who are still yeah. very, very high up. Yes. Um, yeah. There's a real atmosphere of kicking back and having fun at the expense of others. Yeah, hundred percent. On every layer. On every level. So the so the high rise tower block. Um, I think in the novel it's based on that it was just like a tower block, like a, the ones you see in Stevenage, you know, big right. concrete towers. But in the film, it's much more kind of, it's almost sci-fi. You've yeah. Got that overhanging bits and the higher you are, the more. Well, there's uh, uh, like brochures and stuff that they're going through at the start, selling mm. you the dream of oh, high yeah. rise yeah, and yeah. all this stuff. It's not oh, just... This tower is full of like swimming pools, supermarket. It's got everything you ever need to live. Yeah. Into. So this is where the 2008 comparison comes in. Judge Dredd, they live in tower blocks. That wow. is their world. Their, their work, their school, it's all in one tower. Wow. Which is what that's clearly based on. Um, so yeah, you've got at the top, you've obviously got the rich, you've got the mega wealthy. And as you go down, 
get poorer and poorer and poorer. Yeah, um, I guess. I guess though, they're still uh, are all of them above normal society to the extent that they've managed to get this ticket into this high rise. I mean, are the lower class still yeah, above? Yeah, it's not. That's not really covered, is it? No. Because the the people we meet further down seem quite normal they don't seem rich yeah but they wouldn't they're not like your offensively stereotypical working class either. no they're no like, true uh, one of them's a documentarian they're like they're still they're arty folk true but they're part of the conflicts comes up with the fact that everyone in the block pays the same amount of bills they pay for the same amount of electricity yes uh true. even though the people at the top you know, presumably mega wealthy, they're still paying as much. Well, I assume they pay more rent, I guess. Yeah. It's just the bills that are the problem. Well, how they how they get up there. So part of the issue is that when there's like what Anthony Royal describes as teething issues with the new building, power cuts and glitches and, and tech problems, they're the lower floors bit- are getting a bit more like, hang on a minute. Yeah. But you've got all the space. We don't have a garden on the roof. Yeah. Balconies. Yeah. Yeah. So Robert uh, Lang is, uh, he's like a doctor. He's, um, he's. we we find out slightly later on that he's just uh, moved in after the death of his sister, who he's very much fond of, um, very close to. And he's looking to build a new life in the high rise. He's sold the dream of the high rise and he wants to like, a fresh slate and he's an interesting character because where we don't there's something there's a ghost in his past that's shadowing him which we never really know all about because there's an ex-wife as well yeah Um, but he's kind of like you get the idea of this man who whilst he's kind of hesitant and reluctant to fully immerse himself with these people at the party straight away he's still he's still curious of them well he he embodies the 1970s protagonists Mm. Which is someone who's a bit, actually, mm, kind of. Normally the protagonist in a 70s sci-fi tends to be a bit older. And I suppose he is a little bit older than you would expect. He's certainly a man who's made himself already. Mm. Uh, But he doesn't fit in. This is the thing with 70s sci-fi compared to modern. You In modern days, you cast the hero as the jock. Mm. But in... The seventies, the jock was always the bad guy, always yeah, the bad guy. Yeah. So think of Jaws. You know, he's not he's not the big strapping jock guy. He's the annoying guy that everyone keeps shut up. You know what I mean? Mm. So yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting thing and definitely sells the tone of the film. Um, but we realise that he, he has a bit of a rivalry with a guy called Munro, who's a student uh, yes. at Doctor Lang's. Uh, place of work is yeah he, where is he which, which he does is he like a hospital which he does leave the high rise to go to yes um and that's the only instance of the any time that we see him leaving is when he's going to work um where this monroe guy who you know is way up the building way up in the high rises he's a, he's a posh boy what well, the, the actor is also called augustus prue well then what a name uh, yeah, so this Monroe, he's uh, he's in with the in crowd in the uh, the high rise where Doctor Lang isn't yet. Um, so they get, there's a party. He gets invited to a party. 
yeah, comes in his suit. He doesn't. He's not aware of the eighteenth. Everyone's wearing absolutely beautiful eighteenth uh, century costumes. They're yeah, like really perfect costumes. There's Abba playing in the background. It's absolutely mad. Isn't yeah, it's it? just crazy. It's the it's the very idea of like decadence yes, and wealth. That's the totally the right word. Decadence. Yes. Yeah. It's uh, weird. They're not having orgies. No. Yeah. Why? You, why aren't they in Roman togas dipping cheese in fondue and? I wonder if that's... I mean, you could tie that to the fact that at this point of the film, the high-rise, the class system, is not flickering. It's all working as it should at this point. True, true, yes. No no point. There's no infection in the building. There's no real sin at this point. Um, But of course, uh, Lang... Does he bring the poison in? Now you've said that. Well, that's what I was thinking during the film. Was he the infection? Was he... Because when I thought about the lights were flickering off on his floor, was he what Is caused... he the like the external force that comes in and screws it all up? Because uh, he, uh, he he gets teased, doesn't he? Monroe leads the bullying because Lang's in the wrong costume. Monroe. You feeling better? How are you? Did you invite him? Of course not. No, Royal did, actually. I hope you don't mind. <sighs> Must be one of his funny little social experiments. What have you come as? A dilettante? And to get back at Monroe. Lang claims that he's got a brain tumour. Bloody hell, Lang. He goes all in. He wants to teach him a lesson. So <laughs> It's unreal. That, that's, I mean, he's a monster at this point, surely. He wa- I mean, yeah. He, wa- he was utterly humiliated by Monroe at the party for, wear- for just wearing a normal suit and um, kicked out. But then, you know, saying that you've got a, a tumour and you're going to die, very much hinting at that. It's yeah. A bit, a bit yeah. harsh. So, yeah, to sidestep on that, um, and other characters we meet, we meet um, uh, Charlotte Melville, played by Sienna Miller, who lives on the floor up from Lang. Yep. And they start having a little affair. Mm. A quite funny affair. Yeah. There's a lot of funny bits, like they're just having a chat whilst they're shagging and... Yeah. (laughs) That's the thing. Ben Wheatley's tone is dark comedy. And his film is riddled with it. There's loads of weird conversations that happen in the middle of nowhere. Oh, maybe you should be... So Elizabeth Moss, uh, who plays Helen, at one point she says to her kid or... She had a Miller's kid, I can't which, remember which one. The kid's scribbling arse on the table, but he, <laughs> he spelled it A-R-S-S-S. And she goes, that's not how you spell arse, darling. <laughs> yeah. This is a really second long scene, which just takes you off guard. There's loads of those moments. There's one later on involving a horse and a butter knife. Yes. And it's hard to describe. It's just... and it, We can't even play you a clip because it's just a man staring at a horse and a knife in his hand. Oh, God. What do you <laughs> think of uh, Luke, uh, Luke Evans? Luke Evans as Richard Wilder. What do you think of him as a character? And what did you kind of... Uh, so, like... Obviously, he's trying to make a documentary to uncover um, Royal as the 
villain that he is. Well, yes. So he's a documentary filmmaker. There's a line when he picks up his camera. Helen Elizabeth Moss, his wife, is like, are you making another prison documentary? Mm. And it's like, oh, he's clearly, you know, he's in a rut. So he he takes the opportunity to kind of uncover, yeah, the the inequality in in the tail block. But when we first meet him, he's just letching on Charlotte, isn't he? Yeah. He's just like trying it on. She's like, oh, leave me alone. Shut up. He's this gross, unfaithful pig. And he looks gross. He he's, looks... A, he's a 70s gross man. Yeah. <laughs> he's got long, gangly, sweaty hair, he a horrible moustache. The clothes are too slightly too tight. Yeah, it's yeah. Everything 70s gross that you envision. So but the thing is, he's not set up as a baddie. He's not. Initially. He's just a bit creepy. He does terrible, terrible things. <laughs> yeah. Terrible well, things. At one point, to really to really highlight the class stuff, uh, there's a point that all the kids in the lower floors are having a party, and uh, he gets told that they got kicked out of the swimming pool because they were too loud. The children returned away from the swimming pool this morning for being too noisy. Under whose authority? Our lives are too messy, Richard. Successful people don't want to be reminded that things will go wrong. Is that right, Lang? Are we the ones letting the building down? <laughs> I think uh, any sensible person would envy what you have here. <laughs> well, I won't have my children humiliated. We'll start a parents' action group. Who wants to go swimming? I'm, I'm not a parent, but I am a psychiatrist. Well, that do. The more the merrier. Come on. No time like the present. Come on, kid. And, and you think, yeah, is that fun? Or is he just unhinged? I mean, that, that kind of really kicks off the Civil War. Like, that kicks off. That's the start of it descending <sighs> into... That's the thing. Chaos. So it's all, it, all the tensions are bubbling away. But what... One of the things is is the power cuts keep happening and keep annoying them so much that there's a power cut and they all just have a party. All the lower floors just start drinking and celebrating. But they're pissed off because the 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 garbage chutes aren't working. Mm. The food starts rotting in the supermarket. And it's at first it's like people just having fun and taking advantage of the situation, but it just goes mad. Goes effing mental and then the then the the posh people decide to have an even bigger party there's no food left only the dogs and mrs hillman is refusing to clean unless i pay her what i apparently owe her like all poor people she's obsessed with money yes no we can't have a repeat of last night We've got to show the lower floors that we can throw a better party than them. Healthy competition is the basis of a modern, thriving economy. But you're right. We must prevail. All right, first things first. We must commandeer all necessary resources. Simmons? List. Booze. Canapes, hmm. cocktail onions. Other suggestions? Cake. Yeah, 
And theirs is like a lot more kinky, actually. I think I want to yeah. go. I think I want to go to the posh people's party. Um, it, I don't, for me, is this like this is why I wouldn't rate it as excellent? Is because this is where I know it's probably a film that ideally you want to watch a couple of times to get it, but this is where I completely lost any idea of what was meant to be <laughs> told to me or what was meant to mean or what was happening. Because then it just became, I mean, it's a two-hour movie, but but as soon as the supermarket stuff kicks in and stuff, it's like forty-five minutes of absolute chaos. Do you know what it reminds me of? That whole sequence when it really kicks off. Uh, it's uh, mother. Yeah, that's what it reminded me of. It's just endless madness. Yeah, just people drinking. Presumably doing drugs. I don't think we see any of that. Well, there is a bit. There's a bit of cocaine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there's no. There's not. That's not the point. Everyone's just gone. Everyone's gone ballistic. Yeah. Uh, and people start getting beaten up, and it starts getting a bit more and more aggressive. There's rapes. Um, but the thing is, it's not in one night. It's not. It's not a. It goes on. It goes on for days. Yeah, it becomes a kind of fear and loathing bad trip of what's what. You just, comp- I was. Just it's just it's a combination. Lost. It's a combination of everything because mother, like I say, uh, um, fear and loathing. But then you've also got like a bit of Ch- Ch- oh, Lord of the Flies. Lord of the Flies, yeah. Um, definitely, definitely Snowpiercer. Oh, it's it's it's, it's Snowpiercer on its it's snow it's vertical Snowpiercer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 100%. But I think to compare it to Snowpiercer doesn't give it justice because I think Snowpiercer is someone going, I've had enough of this. I'm going to cut off the head mm. of the Kraken and everything will be fine. This is much more insipid. Yeah, oh yeah, 100%. Everyone's awful. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you feel bad for the families and the kids because you see these, you see all the men beating each other up and literally hunting and scavenging for food mm. or dogs. There's a, a real anti-dog thing going on in this film. Oh, yeah. There's like four of them died, aren't they? There's a lot of dogs get eaten. A lot of dogs get killed. Uh, the dog gets freaking drowned. Yeah. Like. Oh, it's <laughs> awful. Um, but, uh, oh, yeah. So while the men are just going mad, the, the women and children are sort of huddling and around yeah, fires like and trying to stay alive. T- like Titanic sinking thing. Of, oh, don't worry, it'll be all be over soon. And there's a shot later on. Like They must have been isolated for days at this point where the women and children are like doing the washing in the swimming pool and stuff. Yeah. It's really weird. It's very strange. Um, and this, there's a point... So Robert Lang, uh, he's... Oh, well, that, that, so to go back to Robert Lang's story, during the first party... Monroe, this this guy he's told has a brain tumor, throws himself off the bloody building. Yeah, he makes him kill himself. He he does, and this drives Lang mad. Yeah, this is the moment where he just starts losing it, and he completely becomes an outsider in a civil war of outsiders. Do you know what's interesting about that? Actually, is when he comes in uh, to the whole building, he's kind of looking down on any everyone in a weird way. He's he is judging people. He is kind of like. These guys are weird. What's yeah. This about? But then as soon as he commits a sin, as soon as guilt and regret comes into his soul, he joins in. He, he goes yeah. down into the supermarket and he's fighting. Yeah, that's my pain. Yeah. He's yeah. to live in daylights out of someone. He's part of the animals then. It's my pain. You really smashed him up. I think he 
Sucker Buster's eyeball. But then he feels bad about it, doesn't he? This is why I think there's a Mad Max thing going on there. Where he sort of go, he, he sinks in, but then he pulls himself back out. And then he becomes the voice of reason a bit later on. But when Munro dies, um, Richard Wilder, the, the documentary filmmaker, decides that he wants to investigate why the no police arrived. And that's when he decides to go after uh, Royal. Yeah. I, I mean, uh... and so he becomes a sort of a side villain. And of course, the posh people don't like the fact he's snooping around. So they attack him. And that drives him mad and becomes awful. There's an awful scene yeah. with him and Sienna Miller. Uh. Do you think, like, one of the issues with the film is we're trying to. Uh, we're trying to attach ourselves to one character. We're trying to find a hero. We're trying to find a person. <laughs> we're trying to, yeah, we're trying to find a hero, but we're trying to find someone to explain to us what the hell is going on. We're trying to, and Richard Wilder, he asks all the right questions. Why can't I find my car? Neither can I. How come we never leave? No one ever leaves this place. You know, there's, he's, he's on the right track. And then he just goes horrifically evil and horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and then, obviously, Lang, he gets distracted by sex. He paints his room blue, and you're like, "Well, I don't know if I can. I don't know if I can get anything from you anymore. <laughs> you've you've gone completely mental." Yeah. And then the and then the only people having a slight little bit of voice of reason is freaking Jeremy Irons and his cronies <laughs> at the top. Do you know what? Do you know what? Thinking about that, do you know what it also feels like? It feels like a, a Greek myth. Yeah. They're like the gods at the top. Playing with the lies of the people yeah, Zeus below. Zeus was a massive arsehole, wasn't yeah, he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, They've, and you've got the women there as well, and they—they've become animals. They've taken advantage of the situation. Yeah. Right. Which one of you bastards is going to me up? Southwesterly, six to gale eight, occasional rain. Moderate or poor. It's just there's just so much going on. Uh, this is where the Zardos connection comes in as well. They are like gods, looking down at the yeah at the people, and they're all making decisions that will affect everyone. So they decide that Richard Wilde is too close to the truth. Now he's raping people he's not supposed to, and to top it all, Mercer here says he actually in his attaché case. Hmm. Seems Richard. Wilder is certainly a maverick. Barrister, aren't you, Mercer? Uh, retired. It's, it's still, it's the principle. And I suppose you believe that there should be unspoken rules, hmm? even to this sort of thing? Quite. Simmons has come up with a workable solution. We get Lang to lobotomize Wilder. You can't be serious. It's an interesting thought. For the good of the building, you mean? If you like. Yeah. Uh, awful. Wow. And Lang's like, no, he's the most sane person here. Yeah. After he's committed a horrible, horrible crime. Oh, God. It's just utter chaos. And I, I struggle to come from the end of it with a a real knowledge of how much I like it. Like I, I will definitely watch it again at some point. I definitely enjoyed it, but it just cluster B 
bombed my there's brain. There's so much going on. It's just, Do you know what? You there's know. something else I thought about. Just the last theory. It's clearly set in the 70s. Everyone's smoking. Mm. Uh, it's, they're wearing that. They all have the look of the 70s. Uh, but it's almost like... So you put society in one block. Yeah. This is, again, similar to Mother. You put all of the world in one block. Yeah. And all these so- class and society clashes basically are almost representing all the social changes that happened from the 70s to now. Because you've got the the bins aren't being collected. That's what caused punk. Uh. There was no food. People were starving. This is like what happened in the 70s. Then you've got people at the top just going mad. But then you've got... There was like... There's bits about the women trying to make their own so then you've got this feminist arc in there as well where they're trying they they want to make their own version of it and they start fighting back Hmm. and there's this like it's like they've just put the whole decade they just shoved it all in in a week time period in this one block i don't know there's something there the sickly 70s all packaged into one movie oh and then there's a Thatcher at the end, talking yeah. about nonsense. Which, by the way, uh, that speech happened in 1976. So that's people's tie to how maybe this film was meant to be set. Mm. Um, well, the book came out in 75. Mm. The book, in- in- interestingly, was more of an ongoing war. Uh, so floors would invade other floors for supplies. They'd fight over the lifts to take ownership of the lifts so it's more like an ongoing kind of battle whereas this was like just a flipping free-for-all i wish i wish they took a moment to explain what the deal was <laughs> that's yeah that's all and i know these films you could say it's open to interpretation but this one has really done a number on my head <laughs> and i would have liked for them to just explain a little bit but I enjoyed it, man. I think it was a very good pick. I'm very glad we watched that movie. Yeah, I want to read the book. Yeah, me too. I want to read the book now. Definitely. It uh, got generally... I I was wrong before. It it was nominated for Best British Film, Empire Awards. Um, It won Best Production Design and Best Orchestral Straw. Straw? Best Orchestral Score for Clint Mansell, who I think is a fantastic composer. He did Moon. Oh, really? No, it's it very good music, and uh, yeah, no, and it, it just looked—it looked so sickly. It looked so uh, gross seventies. It was. Oh yeah, everyone. When I say everyone was smoking, mm. every scene has someone every smoking. Every scene, someone's li- lighting up. Or huh. there's a point when Richard Wilder wakes up at the end of a party and he's coughing, and I felt that. Oh why? I felt. I was looking at that horrible room. It makes me think. Oh. How did anyone survive the seventies? Why are we all here? It's a, it's a very good question. Anyway, uh, <laughs> is he going in the Hall of Fame? I don't know. I don't, literally don't know. So we've got two categories. We've got the bin. We've got the Hall of Fame. And then we had another section we made. I can't remember what it's called. We had the... Did we have a drawer of... What did we have? We had a... Yeah, what went in the drawer? We need, why don't we write anything down? I don't know. Because <laughs> one day we can go back and listen to these, but yeah. we never do. All right, I don't think I don't think I'd put it in the Hall of Fame, but I do think it's a very fascinating movie. Um, Where do we put Zardos? Do we put Zardos in like a, a strange cabinet? Yeah, like a, a, a cabinet of curiosities. Yeah, maybe that's where this should go. Put this in the cabinet of curiosities, <laughs> definitely. 
uh, shove Zardos and Fear and Loathing in there as well and be done with it. Uh, it's on Amazon Prime. Do watch it. See what you make of it. Yeah. Because, oh my God. I don't think you'll regret it. I, I just think it's just... No, you definitely won't like, regret it. It's just a very... It's just a crazy, crazy trip. Also, you can see why people wanted Tom Hiddleston to be Bond. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't think that will ever happen now. Thanks, Disney. Well, Thanks, Mouse. Yeah. Adam's Film Reviews. Malignant 2021. The body of Dr. Florence Weaver was found brutally murdered in her home this morning. Did you know her? No. But I saw her die. I'm seeing things. I'm seeing murders. As they're happening. Hello? He says his name is Gabriel. I think he's someone from my past. Whatever happened to you before you joined our family hurt you in a way that I can't even imagine. Stop saying that. Maddie, who are you talking to? Gabriel. Is he your imaginary friend? Imaginary Imaginary He's the devil. Written by Kayla Cooper and directed by James Wan, Malignant is the horror what Monty Python is to the Bible. Yes, pitched as a horror to end all horrors and showcasing James Wan's earlier triumphs with Insidious and The Conjuring in all the marketing material, Malignant has big shoes to fill. And oh my god, does it not disappoint. Though, perhaps not in the way anyone expected. Fade in on Madison Lake, played by Annabelle Wallace, a young pregnant woman living in Seattle with her abusive dick of a husband, Derek Mitchell, played by Jake Abel. Quickly, we discover that their relationship is broken, with Derek blaming Maddie for her multiple failed pregnancies. In the argument, Derek loses his temper, smashing Maddie's head into the wall and causing an injury that leaves blood trailing from her skull. After locking herself in the bedroom, Maddie wakes up to find her husband, well, very dead is possibly the best way to put it. She's then attacked by a shadowy figure that knocks her unconscious, only waking again in the hospital with her sister Sydney Lake, played by Maddie Hassan, bearing the bad news that Maddie has once again lost her baby. I admit this is starting to sound a bit morbid and horrible, but there is a payoff, a big payoff. One you will not be getting any hints from me, as it's quite something. Soon it's revealed there's been another murder, this time of a doctor from a highly specialised clinic who died in a similar manner to Derek. What's worse is Maddie saw the whole thing, her body having been paralysed as she is forced to watch the events of the murder take place. A shadowy figure brutalising the older woman, with a similarity in the deaths plus Maddie's witness account. It fills in Detective Kekera Shaw, played by George Young, and Detective Regina Moss, played by Michael Brianna White, to investigate the goings-on, while Sydney looks on from the sidelines. Along the way, we learn that the murderer may well be a man by the name of Gabriel, potentially linked to the imaginary friend Maddie had as a child. But as the detectives Maddie and Sydney close in on the killer, 
The question on everyone's lips is, is Gabriel a ghost, a demon, or something else entirely? First of all, let me say this now, Malignant might be the funniest film of the year, and I don't mean so bad it's good, it's not Wish Upon. No, I was laughing with the movie. Out of nowhere, James Wan appears to have made a horror movie exclusively for genre fans, with the first half rammed with Italian giallo horror influences, crash zooms, dramatic stings, and over-the-top line deliveries. It's hard to decide which side of the soap opera parody fence Malignant sits on. The opening, set in a hospital so cartoonishly evil that it may as well have fallen out of an animated Batman cartoon, is shot like a scene from The Evil Dead, with all the right whooshes and screams to really nail down the over-the-top tone within moments of the film's opening. Actually, speaking of Batman, there is a uniquely noir style of lighting found throughout the film. Long shadows and lights beneath layers of fog feel straight out of the Cape Crusader, or dare I say it, the X-Files. The detective element had a real feel of a police procedural about it, with over-the-top characters bouncing lines against each other like another week of your favourite crime-fighting duo. One shot was so outlandish, I couldn't help but laugh out loud in the cinema, and that was before the film rolled a hard six and went insane for the final act. I can't express just how much I love this film, and yet, the interesting thing is, anyone who isn't a die-hard horror buff that I've seen or spoken to appears to be really cold or malignant. It's not snobbery or gatekeeping to say that Malignant feels like a film with a very specific audience in mind, one that admires cheesy horror, one that embraces the weirdness and insanity, and sadly, despite the marketing behind it, it's not so much for an audience looking to be startled into their date's shoulder. I should also add that the performances are solid, particularly Annabelle Wallace, and that the soundtrack by Joseph Bashara is phenomenal. I especially enjoyed the little stings of Where Is My Mind from the Safari Riot cover, which added a nice layer of grunge to the proceedings. James Wan, whether it was intentional or not, you've smashed it out of the park on this one. Genre fans, get out to the cinema and watch this ridiculous film. You will laugh yourself silly. Well, that was the show. It was the show indeed. It's the end of summer now. Yeah. We're moving into the cold, dreary mists of autumn. Which means, oh God, we have to think of something to do for Halloween. <laughs> and we, we haven't yet. We don't have to do. We can have a year off. No, we can't. No, we can't. We have to do something. We, I, oh, yeah. Right. Don't try and wiggle out of it just because you've overbooked yourself with <laughs> work. We're doing something. We're doing something, yeah. But we're not, it's not going to be as big. There's not going to be 31 Days of Horror this year. No, we we'll, um, we'll, we'll, might come back to that. Yeah, there's going to be... Uh, there's going to be something. Leave it with us. It's fine. Trust us. Trust us. Jesus. Goodness me. Also, uh, we won more awards? Yeah. Quaggers has now won Best New Creature. Best New Horror Monster or something. Uh, best sound design, best horror again. Yeah, I need to get it all on the website. I need to update, put them all up there. We must have won 
more than a dozen awards now. We must have won dozens of awards. Uh. We must have won dozens of awards. We must have won six awards. Half a dozen of awards. Hey, we've won more than six. Have we? We've won way more than six. We've been nominated for more. I swear we've we've won more than six. Hang on, let me... me, (laughs) I'm actually going to check Instagram because that's how how best to chart it. Have you tallied them? Okay, right. Uh, so um, eight. We've won eight awards. We've won a dozen and a half of a half a dozen and a half a dozen half a dozen and a half a dozen and a third awards. <laughs> We've had lots of mentions and nominations yeah. and stuff. Anyway, uh, that's the show. Uh, <laughs> follow us on uh, www.patreon.com. No. Go to www.patreon.com forward slash Holdale Media and give us some money. Yes, all please. Of, all of uh, the money that you give us goes straight back into our projects. Um, and, you know, we are trying to work on our next big film. And a lot of it's going to, well, none of it's going to go into our pockets. It's all going to go into creating cool stuff like that. Um, go Where well, we can win a dozen awards. We can win a dozen awards. Yay! Yeah. And Twitter and Instagram. We're on we're on the Twitter and Instagram. Media. At Holiday Media. God, do we need to end now? Yeah, let's end it. <laughs> Bye. Go watch High Rise. You'll see why our brains are frazzled. Yeah. Bye.